Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, and we are coming to you live from the Spiral Research Laboratory. My name is Austin, and you guys are in for a treat because this is our annual Halloween episode for 2021. And you're also in for a treat because this is actually our very first manga review that we've ever done on the podcast, which is kind of weird. We've been going since 2017, and we haven't really talked about manga a lot on here, even though I don't really consider us to be a manga and anime podcast. We're mostly anime, but we can talk about manga every now and again, and that's what we're going to do today for the first time, so that's going to be fun. We're going to be talking about Junji Ito's Uzumaki, which is very appropriate for the spooky season, and with me, I have our resident Junji Ito expert. We bow at the throne of your excellence. Uh, introduce yourself. Hello, it's Tori, and I am vibing with the spiral. And also with us, we have a relative newcomer to Jinji Ito's oeuvre, but has really gotten into it a lot recently. Introduce yourself. Uh, just getting the books all stacked up and ready to go. Uh, seeing some faces in the kennel. I, I don't know if that's weird or... If that's a good thing, I'll have to confer with Tori. Yeah, what's your name? I'm I'm Bill. I'm I'm oh, glad yeah, to Bill. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. And of course, my name is Austin, and uh, I'm not a Junji Ito mega fan. I've uh, respected him for many years, but uh, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, first of all, since it is the spooky season and we have not spoken to you guys, the audience, in a while, we thought we would start off by giving an update on how we've been spending our October in this 2021. So, uh, Bill, run us through how you've been uh, spending your your spooky season. Have you been watching anything cool or reading anything neat? Uh, In terms of watching, I've been doing a hodgepodge of movies. Uh, a lot of universal horror movies, which have been fun and surprisingly hold up really well. But I'm doing a lot of Jinto Ito reading. Uh, just, oh, I've, you don't say. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> I have basically built up a very uh, large collection in a short period of time. Uh, he is very nice. Viz has made his works into very nice collections. And uh, very pretty True. hard, very pretty hardcovers, which I find very pretty. Yeah, absolutely. All of the releases of his work, especially by Viz, even though some other companies have also put his stuff out, the Viz, the Viz books are like really pretty. So uh, I'm I'm glad that you've uh, really gotten into him. It seems like his his work's really hitting you for some reason. Yeah, it's um, mostly thanks to uh, this great person. I don't know if you know her. Her name's Tori. And, oh, I'm aware. Oh. <laughs> uh, and uh, also because a lot of his work is in anthology type releases, and I've been lately been getting into anthology work uh, from different creators and anime. So uh, I just thought this would be a perfect time to look into his oeuvre. Well, you name dropped Tori. So Tori, how have you been spending your Halloween time, Halloween um... season? Well, I feel like I have been a fake horror fan because I really haven't watched a lot of scary stuff this season. Um, So that's been a new one for me. But um, 
I watched Malignant a few years a few years ago, a few weeks ago. <laughs> way before um, it came out. <laughs> way before it came out, I was in James Bond's brain and saw it like <laughs> conceptualize. Um, no, I watched that a few years ago. Oops, did it again? <laughs> <laughs> well what, what is the concept I, of time tory we, we're I just losing time. time is fake time is a spiral it's it's all you know um so anyway i watched malignant a few weeks ago and i have to say it probably is now one of my favorite horror movies um it's one of those where when you figure out what's coming you're like oh they're absolutely not gonna do that but then they do and somehow it works and it is hilarious um the last like so it's a comedy (laughs) not purposefully (laughs) (laughs) um the last 30 minutes of it are just a joy like it's so good (laughs) um i don't want to give away too much but like it involves a lady and like she starts um vividly they're not hallucinations but i can't think of a better word to like describe them I guess visions. She just gets these very vivid visions of, like, murders happening. And so she's trying to, like, figure out what's going on. And then it's just a wild ride from there. So if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's 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 good. <laughs> um, and then other than that, we started Midnight Mass, which I'm excited mm-hmm. to finish. And um, other than that, I had purchased some novels from a pretty popular... Um, Japanese writer that I intended to read through October, but um, have not touched them and probably will not. But you are continuing the Tory tradition of read a book. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But um, if you guys like reading, you should totally check out um, Otsuichi. His books are very good. Goth is very good. Um, Reading is for dorks. (laughs) That's fine. Um, But I would highly recommend Goth. It's like a series of short stories about these two kids who bond over doing like uh, near murders. (laughs) Um, And that sounds really weird, but uh, they get into all these really weird, creepy situations where um, they end up almost killing people and they talk each other down and it's it's really good but it's a short story collection essentially Hmm. so cool that's it (laughs) i also showed you frankenstein for the first time the original 30s movie yeah um that was a lot of fun it's really cool um going back because i was never a classics watcher um so it's it's very interesting going back and like watching some of the classic horror movies like the universal monsters for sure because those films and those stories are so influential on everything up until now. So I'll be excited to um, go back and watch like the invisible man and Dracula and the Wolfman mm. and black lagoon and all that. So that'll be cool. Mm. Uh, just, yeah. Just black have... lagoon, that uh, action anime. That's a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> uh, just, just have coffee ready for Dracula. Cause it can be very compared to the other, uh, Universal monster movies, which I've been watching this Halloween season. Uh, you need some coffee to keep you awake for Dracula. Oh no! Okay, I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've watched a couple classic monster movies this season. I watched Son of Frankenstein, which is very good. Uh, it's the the last of the original Universal Frankenstein trilogy where. Um, 
what's Boris, his name? Boris Karloff. Karloff. Yeah, Boris Karloff mm-hmm, played mm-hmm. the monster. And uh, I thought it was pretty good. It's probably my third favorite in the Karloff trilogy, but it's it's still very good. I think it works out. Uh, let's see, what else? I watched the ni- the 1980s um, live performance of Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury in it as Ooh, Mrs. Lovett. Cool. And that was, that was a lot of fun. I'd forgotten how, how much I enjoyed that musical, and all of the songs are just are very good. Um, I had a real soft spot for the Tim Burton movie whenever it came out. I liked that movie a lot and probably watched it uh, a, a, you know, a modest dozen times in high school, maybe. But it was, uh, it was nice to revisit it and see it done like as an actual stage performance. Let's see, what else have I watched? Uh, we watched the original Candyman. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, I showed you that. Yep, that was pretty good. And then uh, Disney Channel actually remade one of their classics from the early '90s under wraps. They remade it in like a brand as like a brand new modern, like they brought it up to the modern day sort of thing. And uh, I know that that's, I mean, remakes are a dime a dozen these days, and it seems like most of them tend to be like soulish cash grabs. But this one was like. It was kind of good, like, especially for a Disney Channel original film that you can tell they probably, I mean, you know, it's a made-for-TV movie or made-for-streaming movie. It's not going to be, you know, a masterpiece. And Um, uh, go into it knowing that it's definitely made for younger children and you won't be as, I don't want to say let down, that's not the right phrasing, but just go into it knowing that it's, like, definitely made for younger children. Yeah, it's not made for, like, people like us who grew up with the original film. It's not for us. It's, like, taking that idea and just making it again for, like, a modern mm-hmm, kid audience. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still good. Like, it's it's good for what it is. And I, I don't mean to make that sound like I'm trying to take anything away from it. I think it's just pretty solid, you know, reinterpretation of a, of a story that can really be set at any time in any place. Three kids find a mummy and, like chaos ensues i mean they could remake that movie every 10 years if they wanted to and it would probably be you know pretty entertaining each time i'm surprised there wasn't halloween town because that would that to me seems like the one candidate that they would easily do i i would not be opposed to that i mean i really love the original the first two halloween town films like i I adore those but I, i feel like that's i don't know like the I feel like remaking Halloween Town or something like Hocus Pocus is like it has a it has much bigger shoes to fill because some of those performances are just like so memorable like Debbie mm-hmm. Reynolds in Halloween Town and like the trio of ladies that played the uh, witches in Hocus Pocus it's just like their performances are so tied to how people feel about that movie that I feel like the shoes are bigger to fill but with under wraps you don't really have that problem I'm not saying it's impossible that they shouldn't do it I mean if they want to go for it but I don't know Austin, I think have you be... seen have you seen all the remakes Disney has done they, they love their remakes so you you, you, <laughs> yes. you got me there Bill you are correct <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to be talking about The Spiral. we 
Alright, so before we get into talking about Uzumaki proper, I definitely wanted to discuss how each of us individually were first exposed to the works of Jinji Ito. So, Tori, you are the real OG whenever it comes to this conversation, because I feel like both Bill and myself are going to have a very similar answer to this question, and they, of course, don't have anything to do with you whatsoever. Oh, um, uh-huh. But uh, so tell tell us how you got first introduced to uh, to this horror man. Oh sure. Um, so back in the day when I was like fifteen or fourteen, so somewhere between there, um, I was that weird kid that thought it was cool to like go on four chan still. Um, but I trolloped the um, like the paranormal and like the anime boards a lot. And I don't remember which one it specifically was posted on, but somebody had uh, uploaded the entirety of digital scans of the Enigma of Amigara Fault. (laughs) Um, So I remember, like, opening a billion tabs to go through and individually read (laughs) um, what was going on. And um, that's so kind of how what <laughs> they didn't they didn't even have it like all gathered in like an uh-uh. integer folder no, or something. Uh-uh. It was it was individually uploaded. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so you would get like you would get like really funny comments in between, like you know, yo, what the heck is this? And you know, I don't like where this is going. So you would have like just people interrupting, and then like I can remember there being several hours of gaps before the person finished uploading it. <laughs> So I was, like, refreshing the thread, like, okay, 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 come on. And then I got to the very end, and I just, like, threw my laptop, and I was like, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> um, it it actually very legitimately scared me when I opened up that last tab and was just like, oh, that's a creature. That certainly is a creature. Um, and then from there, that led me to... Um, kind of finding out that um, fan translation groups from manga existed. Like, I already kind of knew that anime fan translation was a thing, but I didn't realize at the time that people were doing it from manga as well. And then if you're, like, a real OG Jinji Ito fan, you'll remember Slug Chicks and how, like, important their work was to, like, scanlating his and other really prominent horror manga artists work and translating that and getting it uploaded um and at that time that's how i was able to read like everything he had put out that was available to be purchased and scanned and translated and everything like that and um i think i was telling you last night i was just doing some digging and sadly they've gone on permanent hiatus just because they've become so busy in their personal lives and um you can still find their works online and thing like things like that but um yeah that's that's kind of my story it was all because of the internet several years ago (laughs) um that i was able to discover jinji ito which is really awesome yeah 4chan was a very different place in the pre-gamergate world (laughs) uh it was still relatively bad there were places it was just like okay you don't click on that one (laughs) but um 
culture, there were some you know. there were some good things that did happen you know so Ro- rose tinted glasses and all for sure <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah that's great and uh I'll, I'll say for me like the first time i think i ever heard of jinji ito was you talking about him and then taking me to a very late panel at anime week in atlanta in 2014 all about his work and that was that was before the sort of viz renaissance of his work that's happened within the last few years i mean his work had been available um from i want to say what was it dark horse dark horse had it first yeah dark horse yeah yeah they had like the museum of terror series which had some of the stories in it not i don't know if uzumaki was one of them or not because uzumaki had its own own physical release okay okay um but yeah it was kind of in the in the time period like well after those initial releases but before viz started picking up his stuff and just like putting out all of it in these really sleek very highly marketed uh, additions which i'm sure we might we talk about eh, which i'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later but um watching that panel and seeing the panelists do it i i wish i knew who they were but this was back like probably this like six or seven years ago Mm -hmm. um it was really well done really fascinating and i loved how passionate the panelists were about talking about his work and at that time horror media was only something i had just sort of started to get into more broadly like i was never really a big horror fan um outside of like horror comedies like i really got into horror comedies in high school but getting into like legitimate horror media wasn't something that um came around until later but um i was really fascinated by jinji ito's work and his art style uh just from that panel and from you telling me about it but uh it took it took a long time after that for me to actually sit down and read some of his material the first book of his that i read was the yan and mu cat diary which is very different from uzumaki but very funny and very silly and good um and then I dabbled a little bit in reading some other things. Like, I've read a few chapters of Tomie. I've read, like, half of Frankenstein. And, of course, I've read all of Uzumaki for the purpose of this podcast. Um, but that's really my uh, my experience with Jinji Ito. My phone is ringing. Hold on. Oh, no. I'm being space jammed. Ah. So while Austin takes a moment, Bill, how did you get into Jinji Ito? Um, uh, you know, just like Austin, I heard about him from you. Um, unfortunately, I've never seen any of your panels on him, which I really want to see. But I, I knew of him, and kind of what spurred me to get into his work this year was I've been wanting to get more into anthology work. And a mm-hmm. lot of his stuff is collected in short story collections. And um, I just uh, started just picking them up slowly but surely. And I've been just consuming them <laughs> like someone would consume a candy bar <laughs> uh, I, this this month. Yeah, uh, I know. Whenever you update me, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like he's finished another one. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm back. I'm a, welcome back. Welcome back. I'm a... I'm a 
I'm surprisingly a very fast manga reader. Um, like I was doing um, manga reading with a good friend of mine, and I would read the whole book in like in an hour for certain series like Fist of the North Star, and he'd be like, "You, you finished it? I'm only halfway through." <laughs> um, so I'm a pretty fast reader when it comes to manga, but uh, so far I've read. Uh, all of Fragments of Horror, all of Venus in the Blind Spot, all of Frankenstein, Uzumaki for this uh, pod. I'm halfway through Tomie, and I am like a third through. I always get the name wrong. Uh, uh, it's not Love Sickness, right? No, it it's, is Love Sickness. Uh, oh, I got it right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so all that's left for me to really read is, uh, Smashed, uh, his other short story collection, and Shiver, which I got, I picked up this week. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. And then the, all the, the new stuff that Viz will be putting out later this year. So... So as we've mentioned a few times, Tori, you're the resident expert, but it's not only because you have read the vast majority of his content, it's because you also have done a panel on Jinji Ito, I don't know, for how many years? Like, Oof. I don't know, three or four? <laughs> maybe Something even longer? Something like that. Uh, probably since 2018? Yeah, so a good number of years. So you've done a lot of research into this guy. So so start us off, you know, tell us, tell us about Jinji Ito. What's his story? Yeah, so he actually has a very, very interesting background. Um, and I had remember, oh, I lost my thought. Um, I had heard a little bit of this stuff, you know, back in the day, but going through and actually like sitting down and seriously researching it uh, was a lot of fun and like getting to know more about him. You know, it's always exciting to learn more about the creators you enjoy and how their mind works and all that. Um, so he was born in 1963. He had the experience of being introduced to horror through his older sisters, which I think is super awesome. Um, Cause you know, women in the horror world are much underappreciated. Um, so they basically introduced him to one of his major influences, uh, Kazuo Umez, who arguably um, is like, what? Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but at that, at the time, whenever he was growing up and his sisters were young, weren't there a number of, like, horror manga magazines, like, specifically targeted towards girls? Yes, which is the weird thing, and I tried to, um do some digging into that, but I could not find much information in the time that I was looking specifically into that. Um, but there is a really funny interview um, that I can't remember if I watched or I read, it might've been read, um, where the interviewer is like, why do, you know, why do you think Tomi is so popular with women? And Jinji Ito is kind of just like, well, she kind of acts like a princess, and I think deep down all women want that. And I'm like, I'll <laughs> forgive you, sir. <laughs> um, so I I don't know. A lot of the horror manga in those um, monthly anthologies were more arguably, like, supernatural. So they weren't, like, 
scary scary it was kind of just like oh this girl's a witch or you know this girl can turn into a cat-eyed demon or something like something like that you know it has a supernatural elements to it but it's not exactly like horror in the traditional sense i suppose it just has horror elements does that make sense at all whatsoever yeah mm-hmm. like it's not supposed to be scary it's just like kind of yeah eerie. something like kitaro yeah oh okay um, i get you but um yeah so they introduced him to um Kazuo Umez, who like i said is arguably the grandfather of horror manga um he's extremely famous and junji ito um Junji Ito has taken a lot of inspiration uh, from him in his works, and I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later. Um, And they also introduced him to another popular artist of the time, Shinichi Koga, um, who was known for writing... um, Oh gosh, what was it? This is the one that I can never find any information on. Um, Echo Echo Azarok, um, which was about a girl who fought demons, I think. Um, it's kind of really hard to find anything about it online for some reason, but, um, from that, he started regularly consuming the horror manga, which inspired him to draw and write his own comics, which is really fun. Um, and in another interview, I found it really interesting that he said that he wasn't afraid of any of the comics he read, but anytime they watched like a paranormal investigation show, that that would scare him. Anything that was like too based in reality sort of would be what would scare him. <laughs> I, I can definitely see that. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same. It's just like stuff that's like so rooted in like, oh, this could happen or like it's meant to be like super real. Like this is about a real place and a real curse or something like that. Definitely weirds me out more than stuff like, I don't know, pumpkin head <laughs> <laughs> or evil dead, you know? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, and I think probably one of the most interesting things about him is he had actually gone to Uh, trade school to become a dental technician um and funny enough his teacher was actually super supportive of his ambitions to become a manga artist um his teacher would like schedule him um at certain times or like certain shifts and things like that so he could have time to write and research and sleep and things like that um and Jinji Ito's talked about how at times he's regretted not becoming a dental technician or a dentist, um, but creating comics is much more fun than doing dentistry. Um, so now he kind of doesn't regret it anymore, um, which I don't know. I feel like being a dentist is kind of scary in its own right. I just I feel like that's such an invasion of space to someone. I don't know. This is weird. I don't like and it. Lots of people are scared of the dentist, my dad included. Yeah, lots of people are scared of the dentist. I think dentists have one of the um, highest rates of suicide in a profession. I think it's like dentists and veterinarians and vet techs. Wow. I didn't yeah. Know yeah. Um, let me just like double check to make sure I'm not spouting. Uh, I was going to say like they in Little Shop of Horrors, they showed us the people who are afraid of the dentist. Some people really enjoyed the dentist. <laughs> yeah, if you're Bill Murray in that movie, you love the dentist. 
Yes, that is actually true. Um, the okay. highest in in from among professions, dentistry has a very high suicide rate. Um, not to get dark, but uh, well, thank you I, for not spreading misinfo on the pod. <laughs> You're welcome. I I had read that a while back ago and was just like, oh, I, that kind of makes sense. You're trapped in like, I mean, dentist offices are much nicer now. They have like floor to ceiling windows and they're bright and things like that. But I imagine back then it was like. You were in this, like, dingy, fluorescent-lit room, like, just hunched over someone's open mouth for hours. I don't know. <laughs> dentist chime in. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, um, dentist, uh, leave us a comment. <laughs> um, but Ido himself has been described um, in a lot of interviews and things, um, or just people in the industry talking about him as being a very nice, a humorous man, which I find absolutely hilarious. There's that great meme where it's like the picture of Jinji Ito and the cat ear smiling. And it's like Jinji Ito, Jinji Ito's work. And then it's like Miyazaki underneath him grumbling about capitalism or the war. And then it's like a picture of Miyazaki's beautiful, bright work. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I don't yeah. mean for us to get off on a tangent. <laughs> But uh, in the last, like, six months or so, there has been a series of memes that keep popping up everywhere of, like, comparing Miyazaki to Jinji Ito. And I think, I have a feeling, like, probably a lot of the things that are captioned on that are either, like, misquotes or, like, not exactly 100% true. But it is kind of... It is kind of interesting because, like, when you boil it down to their general personalities, at least from what we know of them from, like, interviews and things like that, it does seem like Miyazaki is obviously a massive curmudgeon that is always complaining about something, (laughs) whereas Junji Ito just seems to be, like, this sort of easygoing, happy-go-lucky guy that loves cats, and uh, you would not... You would not think that when just looking at their art. Definitely. And I I think that's kind of like what the point is in those is just like you should never judge somebody by the way they look or the way they act or things like that. I don't know. But anyway, um, apparently. Do not judge people by the art they create. mm, Maybe sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's also been described as being very shy and fairly reclusive, which I think is pretty true because up until like somehow Crunchyroll bought his soul. Um, (laughs) He wasn't really doing a lot of, like, videos and things like that. I mean, they have the man doing the whip and nene. Like, that's just really odd. (laughs) It's it's hilarious, but it's odd. Um, So he much more was, like, like a print interview type of person and um, didn't really do a lot of interviews at all until most recently. Um, and also, interestingly enough, he is married to a picture book illustrator named Ayako Ishiguro, and I would highly suggest looking at her art as well, because she does some really cool, cool stuff. Um, and they have two children. Um, they often, uh, kind of work together, so they'll bounce ideas off of each other, and, um, he mentions that she has a very good grasp of, like, what is and what isn't scary. Um, So they're kind of, you know, constantly using each other as a soundboard, sort of, with their artistic Mm. endeavors. Um, Mm. Not much online about his children. I know that he says, I think they're, I think I read a passing line in an interview that they're middle school aged. And 
he pretty much lets them read all of his work except for no longer human because that's his most mature in terms of content <laughs> so he's like mm, you know you can see people's intestines fall out but maybe the adult themes and no longer human not so much <laughs> mm. <laughs> I know he's also a big cat fan, and I was really honored that my cat actually joined me for this podcast episode, but unfortunately he walked away before I could actually say that, so uh, I now hate my cat. <laughs> Aww. Oh, no. I don't hate my cat, he's a sweet boy. But uh, yeah, I think going through going through all of this and uh, from something that we'll talk about with Uzumaki uh, that I guess I could introduce now, um, Junji Ito kind of reminds me of a more well-adjusted and less um, obsessive Osamu Tezuka because they both have worked for a very long time and they both created a huge body of work and they both... Um, sort of have a sense of humor about themselves but also tackle some really serious and dark themes as well uh and also he he does like a lot of self-insert stuff like he has multiple mm -hmm. autobiographical <laughs> works and tezuka did that too like i i've read a bit of astro boy and from time to time tezuka as himself will show up to comment on the things happening in in astro boy um and i just i thought that uh that can that comparison is kind of kind of neat to think of him that way well, and they're also i mean different. i certainly hope ito isn't as much of a workaholic as tezuka was well they're also different in that from all the interviews i've seen of ito he's very much an introvert and yes. he's very much like oh i hope people like my work and he's he's very um even killed and he's not like tezuka or miyazaki who i would say were more extrovert and more love being in front of the camera and talking to people about their mm -hmm. work yeah, I think my comparison to Tezuka is, like, pretty, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, shallow, I guess, but I did want to point that out, that connection that I noticed. So, kind of, I guess, piggybacking off of that, um, talking about some of the other artists that have influenced Jinji Ito, um, most often you'll hear him talk about, like I said before, Kazuo Umez um, and Hideshi Hino as his two biggest inspirations and to me once you look at their artwork compared to his you definitely see it like they both um you know use a lot of uh ink wash and they line in a very specific way and they texturize and the way they set up scenes and things like that um very very obvious comparatively and and uh, you can also see his influences in his autobiographical uh, manga chapters uh, Ito has written. In uh, Venus in the Blind Spot, there's an autobiographical chapter of him being really excited for The Drifting Classroom, which is an Omez work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then... 
kind of story and concept wise, this is super obvious. Um, but he draws a lot, a lot, a lot of inspiration from H.P. Lovecraft. Um, if I remember reading correctly, I think some elements of The Shadow Over Innsmouth had um, inspired Uzumaki. I could be misremembering that, so disregard if I am. But um, he also credits authors like um, Yasutaka Sutsui, who wrote The Girl Who Leapt Through Time and Paprika, and Edagawa Rampo, who was a very um, famous mystery writer back in the day. Um, he kind of basically wrote the Japanese Sherlock Holmes, I guess you could say. Um, and then artists like H.R. Geiger and Salvador Dali. Um, and I think I had sort of mentioned earlier as well, a lot of Ito's stories come from personal experiences, which seems kind of funny considering a lot of his stories are so otherworldly. Um, but for instance, Tomie was about um, a high school classmate of his, or based on rather, a high school classmate of his who just suddenly one day had died. And he kept expecting this boy to sort of, like, just show up to class like nothing wrong had ever happened. And honest, obviously, you know, that didn't happen. But that does happen in Tomie. Like, she gets killed and then the next day she's back in the classroom. Like, nothing ever happened. Um, <clears throat> and then um, the Hanging Blooms short story, which I cannot remember which collection that was in, so my bad. Um, but that was actually inspired by a dream that he had <laughs> where he was like seeing all these people with these giant overinflated heads hanging by their neck. Um, and then Gyo, interestingly enough, was inspired by all the horrific war stories that his parents told him as a child and his own fear of someday being drafted into a war. Um, so... I don't know. I think that's one of my favorite things about horror is you can take these really mundane things and make them into something extremely scary. And I know we'll talk about kind of some common themes throughout his work, but I think he does that and he does it so well. Like, a spiral shouldn't be scary, you know, but here we have this huge manga about why you should be afraid of spirals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's really talented at taking, like, simple ideas and just taking them to their logical extremes. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's that's definitely something that I think horror does whenever horror is at its best. Like, like something like uh, The Nightmare on Elm Street is, I mean, at face value, it's about a guy that, like, hunts teenagers in their dreams. But, like, watching the movie, it's also, like, about what happens when, like, parents don't take their kids seriously. Um, so it has, like, a lot of root in, like, a very real sort of anxiety. Um, like, the anxieties that you said that he was inspired by are, like, very real anxieties or very real thoughts that you could have of, like, oh, what if my dead classmate is not actually dead and he just shows up one day? Or, like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be terrible if I had to go to war or something like that? It's just, well, like... Well, I, I think that's more just he's able to re be really good about tapping into a core human emotions really yeah. well like um there's a number of stories about people dealing with um acceptance and am i uh, am i expected amongst uh, a group of people um there's multiple stories about feeling of isolation there's been multiple stories of um kind of fear of the unknown which are very common 
human fears that, that has been going on since uh, man first walked. Um, Will my classmates still like me even if I'm a snail? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, I think he speaks to that as well a little bit in the um, Urasawa Manben interview when he asks him about like ideas and Ido does mention about how he takes a very simple idea and like like you said kind of brings it to this logical extreme like and I, I think the story that he was talking about was layers of fear I think that's what that one's called I think it's called Layers of Fear, yeah. Um, where he's just like, oh, well, you know, this is obviously what would happen if you were in this situation. Yeah, it's like out there and wild, but if you really think about it and play out the scenario, this is the logical conclusion of where it's going to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely put a link to that interview in the show notes because you've shown that multiple times at your panel every time, and it's always really fascinating to... Uh, sort of watch the master at work yeah and um it's definitely worth watching um you know first of all it's like naoki urasawa who's an extremely prolific artist in his own right but um for those of you unfamiliar he does uh inter- an interview series i'm not sure if it's still ongoing but he'll meet with um various manga artists and learn their techniques to hopefully make his manga better. <laughs> and um, the Jinji Ito one's really funny because, like, not because, like, not only because it's so interesting, but because they took him to a cat cafe so he would be less nervous. And if you look really closely, you can actually see the cats kind of running around and being little menaces in the background, and it's it's fantastic. So I think that's a pretty good baseline of sort of talking about Junji Ito broadly, but let's let's move into talking about Uzumaki proper. So Tori, if you don't mind, introduce the book that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, so we are going to be talking about Uzumaki. Like many of his works um, were serialized in a manga magazine. Um, this particular one for Uzumaki was uh, Big Comic Spirits. It ran from 1998 to 1999, which is just insane that it's that old, Um, which I was like constantly forgetting when I was reading it. And um, it it doesn't really show its age in a good way. Um, Not not really. I mean, that's a lot. That's that's a lot of his work, surprisingly. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. They don't seem to have a lot of um, time period things that make it make them dated. Like I'm reading love sickness right now and that book was originally written in 1997 and reading it it's like oh that could come out today yeah and um it's interesting to think about too because like tomie is even older like that was his first thing he released and that's even older but it doesn't feel like it but anyway um so uzumaki 
follows the unfortunate life of high school teenager Kyrie Goshima, um, as well as her boyfriend Shuichi Saito and their families and the citizens of um, the small little village of um, Kuruzocho, uh, which is cursed by supernatural events involving spirals. Um, as everything kind of goes along, Kirie and Shuichi witness how the spiral curse affects the people around them, um, kind of causing everybody around them to, for better or worse, become obsessed and or paranoid about spirals. <laughs> um, now, it sounds, the name of that... I was going to say, Go it, sounds, it sounds really not good, but like when you go and read it and you just see all the pieces of it put together, it's like, yeah, that's a really weird idea and a really weird concept, but somehow this works. <laughs> it, it's a Trojan horse of just like, oh, it's a spiral. How can that be so scary? But then he keeps building and building and building upon it. But on um, that simple concept and is able to create different stories just out of that one simple shape of a spiral. Mm-hmm. I ha- now, I, I don't know exactly what it would 100, 100% translate to, but it seems like the name of the town is... It, is that supposed to be like a pun or something? Because doesn't yes. kur, kuro means like black or Correct. dark? Correct. Yes. Is it's, it like it's black like village or something? Commonly translated to like black vortex, I think. Because oh. <laughs> um, you know Uz- Uzumaki is spiral, so Uzu. So right. like it is commonly translated to black vortex. That's mm. funny. It's like almost like a town with that name would be destined for this to happen (laughs) (laughs) exactly so this really is not going to go anywhere but this is a very interesting piece of trivia that somehow i missed when i was doing all the initial research for my panel when i was first putting it together but apparently um there were two video game adaptations for the wonder swan for uzumaki and um, i watched some gameplay from a guy who like emulated them and they looked really cool I don't think they're translated, but they looked really interesting. It sounds like, like it sounds like the Wonder Swan because they would get a lot of anime licenses. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of anime games for the Wonder Swan, which unfortunately we never got over here. But um, I, I watched a little bit of it too. Probably not as much as you, Tori. But it seems like it's kind of just like a a visual novel version of the story, kind of. Yeah, it looks like a text-based choose your own adventure type thing. Um, which, you know, in the modern day, if you want a really good one, World of Horror is really fun and very Jinji Ito inspired. (laughs) Hmm. Um, but yeah, I find that very fascinating because I, um, would not expect something like that to get a video game adaptation. Like, I, it makes sense what doesn't get a video game adaptation, but, um, I don't know. Um, other than that, there's a live-action movie that's actually not that bad for the time period that it was made in. And then we also have the upcoming uh, 2022 anime that's going to be released on Adult Swim that looks really cool and really stylized. And I'm super excited to see what they're going to do with that. Um, and it's going to be directed by the same guy whose name is escaping me, but he directed Mushishi. So, so it's gonna Hiroshi be... Nagahama. Thank you. So it's going to be super... Mm-hmm atmospheric and dreamy and i'm, I'm sure it's going to be really good 
Hopefully yeah. it'll be better than that Jinji Ito collection. <laughs> <laughs> we do not speak of that here. <laughs> yeah, I rewatched the the trailer that they released a few months ago during I think a big like Adult Swim online event, and um, it looks it looks really cool. Like it, I love it, the fact that they're it it looks more like a like a what what do you call it like a motion comic mm-hmm, but better. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing with that trailer that they are able to get the look of the of Uzumaki down. Yeah. It, it looks like it's straight out of the manga. I mean, I'm really excited for when that comes out. Oh yeah. And um they're also going to have the guy who composed the score for Hereditary do the soundtrack, so it's oh, wow. going to be very wild, I'm sure. Yeah, it's going to be quite a soundscape, <laughs> which I think that something like this is really appropriate for. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's just a bunch of like anxiety-inducing strings. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, so the initial idea um, kind of came about because Jinji Ito wanted to draw a very long house. <laughs> um, he lived in a very traditional, like, long-style Japanese home as a child. Um, so some of it was inspired by kind of like what he experienced in his daily life living in that type of home. Um, and I think he mentions that they had a um, sort of like a underground hallway, like a dirt wall, dirt floor hallway, very long hallway they had to go through to reach the bathroom. And he talks about how it was always covered in these particular bugs and how scary it was to have to like navigate that as a child. Um, and he kind of had that moment from SpongeBob where he becomes a marble artist. I gotta embrace the marble. Right. I gotta sniff the marble. Well, uh, okay. I gotta lick the marble. Uh. And so he's like, you know, you have to date the spiral, you have to lick the spiral, you have to be the spiral. So Jinji Ito uh, raised snails, he stared for hours at spirals, read books on spirals, would fill up his bathtub and then pull the drain so he could watch the spiral like go as so the water he, was so draining out of went, the tub. He went um, full Daniel Day-Lewis. He went what? Full Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. 100% committed to the role. Um, he ate foods with spiral patterns, and I'm just like, how? How could you do that? Like, I just, okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I could see it now, the review of, uh, Jun- of uh, Uzumaki, like, by somebody Jinji Ito knows in real life, and they would review it and just said, this happened to my buddy Jinji. <laughs> um, so, Jinji-san. Yeah, he was probably doing... the... F- oh, oh go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was... I was... Yeah, go ahead. Was, so he basically became the father uh, in uh, in the manga of just like I'm looking at the spirals. Yeah. <laughs> yes, them. well, he did say a lot of his you know ideas <laughs> come from personal experience, so maybe maybe it was based on him. Um, but I just find that so funny, just thinking of him sitting there like for hours staring at a picture of a spiral. <laughs> um, so. He also wanted to take something considered stereotypically cute, Um, you know, kind of think of like older anime character designs where when they would make the little, you know, 
E face. They would have the spirals on their cheeks. And that was like a kind of like a, a symbolism for cute stuff with the little spirals. Um, so he wanted to take something that was, you know, a conventional symbol for one thing and flip it around and make it another. Um, also remember there's like those anime characters that have like the glasses on but they're like big spirals yes and they're mm -hmm. supposed to be like silly funny glasses right um and then i kind of um this this can sort of go i guess maybe in common themes maybe not but um i find that in this particular story it um taking something stereotypically cute and, you know, differing it, um, it sort of plays on that trope, that Japanese trope of, uh, Yamato Nadeshko, so, like, the perfect woman, the perfect wife, so very, like, conventionally, traditionally beautiful, so, like, long black hair and clear skin and things like that, um, but we see that little chapter with Kyrie and her classmate where they're, like, trying to out-spiral each other's hair, <laughs> and, um... So, you know, that kind of plays into that. And um, you see that a I'm, lot in I'm Jay. the cuter. I'm the cuter spiral girl. No, I'm the cuter spiral girl. <laughs> yes. Um, but you see that a lot in Japanese horror, that kind of trope of the hair with like Ringu and Juan and Dark Water and so many, so many Asian horror movies. Yeah, that scene in particular is, you can barely see it because of the way that the cover is designed, but that's the that's the design that they went for for the uh, cover of the Viz edition of Uzumaki. It's that scene with uh, Kire and her classmate showing up together with the spiral hair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's like one of the big, big, super iconic moments from the manga. So it was interesting reading this book as it went along. It reminded me very much of kind of his standalone anthology collections because while there's a connecting character um it isn't really until like i would say the third volume because the visitation is like a three-in-one collection um that a larger overarching story starts to starts to begin um and it and it slowly he's really good at building building up the tension because um, it builds and builds and builds. Then when you do the page turn, you're like, oh, mm -hmm. when he does like a really splashy uh, horror. I I'm, don't know how to word this, but uh, like a, 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 a splash panel, basically. Like a reveal. A, yeah, splash panel reveal, which he's really good at. Um, and I, I enjoy... All those kind of standalone stories in in the first part of uh, the work, um, because I think that's that's his. I would argue that's his strength is kind of standalone, isolated stories from each other, um, compared to when he does more of an overarching story, like in let's say Retina, uh, which is another one of his works, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, compared to his other works. Um, and you also see common themes that are um, not, not just this, but in uh, his other works, like the action or the horror element comes to the main characters. They're very kind of passive and how it mm -hmm. comes to them. They're, they're not proactive in causing anything for the most part. Yeah, like and, Kir Kirei did not accidentally 
cast a spiral spell on the town. It just sort of unfortunately happened to her and her neighbors. No, she did not do an ash from Evil Dead and open up a book. <laughs> no. That that uh, brought the end of the world. She did not light the black candle. No. Yeah. Um, um, I, I would say my other thing, I it's common in all his books, um, is it seems like the boyfriend Saito is kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, it's it seems to be common in all the in the books I've read so far is where the guy the guys are kind of very insecure and have their own neuroses, and uh, they don't they don't treat um, the women in the best light. It, not in a in like an abusive way, but not in a very friendly way, I guess. Yeah, as as I went through the book, I was a little bit confused about their relationship because Kire is like, she's like fairly passive, not not in like a uh, in a way that I find is like demeaning to her character or anything, but she's just kind of kind of there. But her boyfriend is always seems to be sort of lost in his own world um, and doesn't really pay attention to her that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, into his own neuroses. Very much. Like he's he he's the he's the Charlie Day meme where he's like pointing out to <laughs> all the, board. the at the board, yeah. Basically uh. he's like, There's something wrong with this town and I'm the only one that could tell because everybody else is either you know, they, they either don't notice it or it's too late, sort of don't thing. Don't you see, Austin? Don't you yeah. see? Don't you see, Kire? Everything's going to crap. Uh, I mean, he's not, he's not wrong. He's, he's totally right. But I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I could argue that, maybe argue is not the right word, or maybe it is, but like, and maybe this is me also being biased, but I wonder if you could spin that in the way of like, you're never safe in a Jinji Ito work and like people will often look to their significant other as a source of safety but like these people don't have that because they're like you said in their own neuroses so he's Mm -hmm. completely becoming unhinged so he does save her at times but it's like can you really rely on that does that make sense Mm -hmm. where I'm going with that Mm -hmm. yeah that that does actually kind of make sense um and I mean, uh, well, and and I think that that kind of works to a strength of Kirei's. It's like she's not a damsel in distress throughout the story. She's not like constantly looking to others to save her. I mean, she kind of just stays resilient, even though all of these horrible and baffling things are happening to her. And it's kind of funny sometimes because like between chapter to chapter, it's just like these horrible things will happen around her. And like by the time the next chapter rolls around, she's just like, oh, it's Tuesday again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also at the same time, she, she, she figures out a way to either like get away for herself or to navigate the situation that doesn't make her seem like she's just like, like a, um, like a, a horror movie girl that like trips and falls and gets killed, sort of thing. Scream, she's not. A, she's not she's like not that a, at all. She's not a scream queen, for like no, a better mm-hmm. definition. no, she's not. She gets to be the final girl in every chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! It actually kind of reminds me of. Um, 
There's another work that he released later on, Nimi no Kaidan, which is just based on, like, different urban legends, where, like, basically the same thing kind of happens. Um, it's, like, a girl, and all these things are kind of happening to her, unfortunately, but there's no, like, overarching story to it, like there is with Uzumaki, but I was just thinking, like, yeah, this is kind of, like, basically that. <laughs> mm. Mm. So, uh, yeah. And Bill, you mentioned his uh, his command of tension, because as I was reading through this, um, I w- well, before I started reading it, I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, so how is he going to make this central, because I had only read his like short form work. I was like, mm-hmm. how is he going to make this like, how's he going to make this gag last, you know, like how far can you really go by using the same spiral gag and like. Obviously, I was proven wrong because he figured it out. <laughs> um, but just from like a pacing perspective, I expected the pacing to be kind of all over the place. But the thing, the thing is that like each chapter has like its own central gag or its own central like theme that it's going for, and all of those miniature themes build up to the overarching, you know, big, you know climax at the end of like the whole town becomes a spiral it's just like all of these small isolated events turn into this gigantic you know sort of travesty and uh, in in some ways that's kind of how some things work in real life like small problems turned into massive problems um Mm -hmm. it's not always you know a, a massive problem happens and then there's a bunch of fallout from that sometimes it works the other way and I think that that building tension is is really, really masterful in how he does this in the book. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him great is just his his building of tension. Like at first, the spiral is just isolated to uh, Kiri's family, mm-hmm. and then it goes to her school, and then it it goes to a hospital, and it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding to the point where we get to that grand finale. Where the whole town is basically in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really masterful. Like he picked one, he picked like one thing to focus on for each uh, each chapter, and then kind of went whole hog for it. Um, where was I gonna go with that? Um, so I guess on that note, like out of the out of the different ways that he figures out how to torment these people with the spirals like what what are some of you guys' favorite ones i actually have two which is cheating <laughs> oh no I, i'm not asking don't. you to pick a favorite i mean oh, talk okay. about as many as you want don't, don't worry i have two i have two <laughs> favorites as well um so for those that stuck out to me i guess i would say i really like the one with the boy that's like keeps trying to, like, confess or get uh, Kyrie to like him. And then he's like, wait a minute, I saw this in a movie, and then gets run over by a car. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, Because I actually saw that image before I read Uzumaki, and that's what made me want to read Uzumaki. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it was, it, it was like a meme status image for a long time. But um, I really liked that one because it was really gross like when they go to like dig him up and he comes out of the grave and he's like falling apart i was like oh this is nasty i love it um 
and that's on the spine of the book. So if you have that up on your <laughs> shelf, his, uh, his, his disgusting stitched up body and face is what stares at you. Yes. Yeah, that one's always stuck with me. I, I really enjoy that one. And then the one where her cousin is in the hospital pregnant. And uh, she, like, uh, oh, was like, no, 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 I can't do this because, like, I'm so scared of childbirth and, like, the thought of turning into, like, this blood-sucking mosquito creature with the, like, hand drills. And then she turns all the ladies who are all weirdly pregnant at the same time. Like, how are there 20 <laughs> pregnant women in this village all at the same time? Um, the, the, the spiral gets around. We'll say that. <laughs> Um, and then in regular Junji Ito fashion, it's just like, yeah, and the next day, nothing at all was wrong. Everything was normal and nothing happened whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, Kira just goes home. You know, it's just we, another Wednesday. Yeah. We shut the hospital down. Everything's fine. Right. And, and like <laughs> that story alone could have been its own story alone. Right, like, right. what happens when she escapes the hospital? Like, why are these women back to normal? Why did their husbands supposedly cover up for them? Um, and then, and then when those babies were like, yes, I crave the womb, I'm like, no, no! <laughs> in, in all honesty, I found that hospital arc to be, like, the biggest curveball of the whole, like, thing. And yeah. I think it works that it's, like, kind of in the middle of the story. Because, like, it is so wild, and it's, like, a much bigger sort of um, uh, concept than the other sort of, like, there's individual spiral things happening to, like, individual people. Yeah. It kind of gets you primed for where it goes in, like, the third act, where, like, the spiral just, like, becomes everyone, or, like, everyone becomes the spiral. It's just, like, this, this, these, this hordes of murderous, like, blood-sucking uh, pregnant women sort of get you primed for for the rest of the town to go into madness later on right um, so i guess it's a good like uh jolt like a good uh sort of like midpoint jolt just to get just to remind you it's just like hey don't get too comfortable yeah and then they started eating the like mushroom placentas and i was like all right oh. i'm gonna head out thanks <laughs> yep that was very gross uh. but but we must we must ask ourselves okay is that is that more gross or less gross than eating a charred snail man? Mm, well, uh, I, people I, parts, so I'm gonna say they're <laughs> equally gross. You know, you know, I would say the the I would be fine with the snail because that because at a certain point in the book, <laughs> even our main characters eat the snail parts because well, we can't cook anything. There's nothing else here. We have to eat something to live. Yeah. So as like a survival method, I was kind of like, it's gross. But after a while, if that's your only resource, you're going to use it. Right. So, well, we, we've got it on the record. You know, Bill is pro-cannibalism under gonna certain circumstances. I was going to say, I'm not going to hang around Bill no. when the apocalypse happens. No, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm, not a, I'm not a character in like that alive movie that's like totally fine with it. Nope. Uh, no don't don't you pin this on uh, me i mean that's the only <laughs> logical conclusion right eventually you end up at like we're hungry yeah we'll eat them <laughs> mm.
fruit that I didn't really like. Oh, please. Yeah, go, go ahead. Um, so when you finally get to the part that's leading into the, like, beginning of the end, where those guys become, like, whirlwind riders, I was like, this is a little too silly, but I guess we're here. <laughs> yeah, that was a little much. And I know, Bill, you, you told me, like, you didn't really super care oh. for the third act. Um, I, yeah, I'll get into that later. Yeah, okay, so, so it's not... Yeah, we could, it's not just me. Okay, that's good, because, like, no. I was reading through this over the past couple days, and Uzumaki has always been one of my lower-tier Ito favorites, and then I started reading it, and I was like, huh, this is a little bit better than I actually remember it being, and then I got to the beginning of the third act, and I was like, oh, I remember why I didn't like this now, okay. <laughs> yeah, it does, like, after the... um like shortly after the hospital part it does sort of take a turn to being like a more um like singularly focused narrative like each chapter sort of leads into the next and following the same story right and typically he does not do that now as a as a choice for like a longer work i mean i'm not necessarily opposed to it but it definitely does it feels like his weakest work because it feels like it's sort of extending it a little bit too much like i probably would have if it were me i probably would have trimmed out a little bit more of that third act mm-hmm. just because this like the build-up in the first two acts is just like really really good and it makes the third act feel a little bit long in the tooth i think right and it's think- it's funny because he has said himself that he feels like he works better on short-form things, that long-form stories tend to make him a little bit more nervous about the direction. Mm-hmm. So I I can mm-hmm. kind of see that in Uzumaki, for sure. Before we uh, pivot to talk about maybe the weaker parts in the uh, in the third act, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the art style? Well, well you guys got to talk I about the parts that you liked. Yeah, well, I didn't get to talk about the parts I liked. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm sorry. I, I thought we had already covered that. No. Might be. <laughs> so yeah, Bill, please. Uh, what 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 are some of the the spiral gags that that you uh, liked the most, uh, Mr. Host? You you should uh, be more aware of your people. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I would say the I'm gonna I'm gonna extra double cheat and say uh, all the. The pregnancy stuff uh, that Tori mentioned was pretty up there. I was like, okay, <laughs> that, that was, like you said, that was a curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, the one I really liked from an artistic point is her, I think it's one of her family members that is making pottery and you see like the faces in the pottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's her, just, it's her dad. Yeah. Okay. It's her dad. Okay. I loved the imagery of the pottery and all the faces. Uh, I, I just admire that from an art perspective because it's he basically did each different each face was unique and different, and they didn't have like same face. And especially when you have that big splash page of when she lets out the kennel and you see all these like ghostly face figures just go everywhere, and you hear them like saying "Save us, save us." Mm-hmm. Um, I just admire that from an artistic standpoint, because um, it was just I I I couldn't help but admire it. Um, and then probably my favorite 
kind of story that was kind of a I it made me laugh a little bit is about the two the boy and the girl that come from different families that hate each other but they but they are in a romantic relationship and uh they're like let's run away together and then uh then they say we're gonna be together forever and basically twist themselves into a spiral binding themselves to each other it's a monkey's paw yeah <laughs> Kind of romantic. Kind of romantic. Bit, and uh, then they just yeah. slither into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that uh, that uh, was written as a Valentine's Day card for uh, Junji Ito's wife, that chapter. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, all those were great. Or The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is another great story that is kind of self-contained of this mystery of what's caught people are disappearing when they go into the lighthouse. Um, and they had to figure it out. And just the race of them going in and then finding out like this blob of a spiral and then brace them trying to race to get out was a great tension builder. Mm-hmm. But uh, Austin, what are some of your favorites? So I think that my favorite, well, one of all the gags that I really liked, like, and this happens in a few of them. It's like every time that the sky becomes like a major visual motif, like they show the, the whirlwind in the sky forming and like the part where I forget exactly which character it is, but like, is it, is it Suichi's dad who like becomes the spiral and like his face is in the sky? Yes. Like after they burn his body or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like I I love that. That's, that's pretty amazing. Um, One thing that we haven't talked about that is another big sort of visual thing from this manga that um, you will see a lot in like merchandise and online is the the scar story. Oh with yeah, with the uh, mm-hmm. the girl with the um, the bob haircut and like the with spiral the... that's going into her face. Um, and the initial like Sailor Moon scar, kind of. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I I kind of like that one because of how anticlimactic it is. It's like the. <laughs> It's like the spiral in her face just gets so big and then like the boy that has a crush on her like gets sucked into her face and then she just gets sucked into herself and like disappears and Kirei's like, all right. So I kind of <laughs> love that. It's a living. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a living. <laughs> uh, so that so that's really good. Um, and then of course the, the hair one I really like because it's, I think that that's a, um, that's a really important one from like a story perspective because it shows early on that like you think our main character is like immune to the spiral stuff but then it it like starts to get her you know what i mean mm-hmm. like if that if um if her boyfriend hadn't have come around and like cut her hair off when he did like she like the spiral would have gotten her too so it's not like she has like this special immunity to the spiral or something it shows awesome. that she's vulnerable as well also um, with that story i think what is a good strength with Ito is just sometimes the stories get so absurd mm-hmm. that they almost become comical yes. which takes a which takes away from the constant horror of the story and allows you to get a, a breather mm-hmm. because if it's constant scary 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 you just become numb to it right uh right which is a I... problem which is a problem I have in uh, the later volume which we'll talk about later and I, and I think at times that can kind of work to his advantage because, like, the stuff with the people morphing into snails is, like, you you can't not laugh at that. Like, that's very silly, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's horrifying, but it's also really silly. Um, 
like a person turning into a snail is like sillier than like um the girl who like eats the boy in her face like that's scary or the pregnant ladies who are like drilling holes into people like that's more traditional like violent horror but like the snail thing is like it's obviously disturbing but it's also silly so he uses these things to sort of break up the tension in a good way um but again as we'll talk about in the last volume it, it kind of you have to you have to do it in a way that works and sometimes it doesn't always work you know oh and sorry, the last thing about the snails, which is great, is it's a boy that's being bullied. He, the, the bully boy becomes the snail. And then later, the bully becomes the snail. And they basically, the bully then has to be like, become friends yes. with the bully boy, which is a great like comeuppance for the bully. And you also kind of like it, just like, oh, he has a friend. <laughs> and then yeah. they mate. <laughs> they do mate they made they, they made a point to to uh to point out that oh, oh snails can they can mate like this and it's very odd and i love the um cosmic retribution of the one classmate like going to hunt for them in the woods and then he stomps on the clutch of eggs and mm. ends up turning into like a weird bumpy snail the next day <laughs> mm. yep oh and I also really like the lighthouse one, too, because it's just like, ah, of course, yes, a lighthouse. It is basically a architectural spiral in of itself. So, of course, he would have to do a lighthouse. Mm-hmm, so, it's mm-hmm. it's perfect. There's a lot to like here. Lots of good gags. He's very... You can definitely tell that he was very obsessed with spirals because he basically nailed down every possible thing that could be a spiral. Your and he used it to his advantage. Well. The- yes. <laughs> That, that was a good one, too. It's just like, we have to do everything in our power to not let our mom, who is very unstable, find out that she has a spiral inside of her ear because she'll rip that's, her brains that out. That story is a great example of paranoia. Yeah. Very much the so. The psychosis feeling is, like, very well written, I guess I would say. Like, you mm-hmm. feel... You feel what she's going through, kind of. And then mm-hmm. it kind of takes a dark turn because then they have to, like, gaslight her. Like, oh, no, what diagram in the office? I don't know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Right, right, well, exactly. Well, well, well they kind of do that as a as a safety measure for her because they know she has the psychosis. Oh, yeah. So if we, if we show this, she's going to freak out and we're going to have mm-hmm. to deal with it. So I kind of got it from, like, a safety perspective, but it just shows just the kind of obsessive nature that's a common theme in this book it's just of the obsessive nature of either mm-hmm. your psychosis or the spirals initially in the early chapters So as we've mentioned, Bill has Bill. You're not a huge fan of the of the third act. So sort of outline it for us. Like what what's my, your beef with it? My beef with it is that in his earlier stories, you can have a bit of a break where it either the world resets or it's a more it has a more it becomes lighthearted and you get a break from the horror, right? Whereas at the end, 
basically the town becomes non-existent everyone is fighting for themselves um people were dying and you just become i would say numb it becomes no longer scary just numb to it Mm -hmm. and when when you when i got that numb feeling i just started to disengage and be like i'm just powering through this just to finish it Mm. and i'm not i i don't want to say like i wanted a happy ending because i don't think everything needs to have a happy ending but i just didn't like the the resolution and just the numbness of it Hmm. i i guess a good another example in his works which was it's kind of similar is uh tori have you ever read retina Remina? Remina? Sorry, I'm, I'm saying it wrong. No, that's okay. Yeah, Remina, the one about the, um, where he, like, discovers the star and names it after his daughter and, like, everybody goes crazy, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, the ending of that book is very, or the, the initial ending of that book is very similar to Uzumaki, mm. where basically, like, it's the end of the world, everyone's fending for themselves, it's nothing is properly working society has crumbled and when that kind of happens you just kind of feel numb and it becomes less scary and just more like just this feeling of dread i guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which um i i may be i'm just rambling but just the numbness i'm just i'm not a fan of yeah his works are very nihilistic at times i think (laughs) um nobody really gets to be truly happy i suppose yeah i was wondering like what what the ultimate resolution to this was going to be and it seemed to be like very appropriately the final commentary was just like well this seems to just be something that happens to this town every couple hundred or thousand years or so and it'll turn back to normal eventually and then it'll all start over again whenever the spiral decides to show up and i'm just like well you know, life do kind of be like that sometimes, but it is a little <laughs> bit nihilistic because uh, none of the characters really get to be happy. Nobody survives. Um, it's basically a, uh, not to pull from R.E.M., but it's like a, it's the end of the world and we know it and I feel fine sort of kind of ending. I, I don't know how to feel because it's like, I'm not saying I want a happy ending. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But also that ending feels kind of dumb because as you see, like, the, the, um, the people outside the town know about it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they send reporters, they send um, um, basically the national guard. Uh, the the nas- <laughs> national guard. The so SDF, when they yeah. know when they know about it and like something weird is happening there. So I don't know if it completely reset, but um, yeah, I just the nihilistic part of it um, kind of doesn't. I don't like because in his more short story works. You get basically a splash page of a big tour event, and then we move on. And you don't have to really think about the consequences of that. And I think when you start to have to think about the consequences, then he starts to lose steam. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that just, I mean, I have some issues with the ending mostly, well, not the ending specifically, but like the third act. Like, I don't love the, uh, like the, the, the tornado warriors flying around and the little boys who can like blow people away i'm just like that this doesn't really seem appropriate like this is weirdly mad max out of nowhere it makes Um, it makes sense the way that they explained it but just 
in the execution, it felt weird. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I didn't, I didn't really vibe with that. I just didn't, it did not appeal to me. I did not see that as, I saw that more as like, this is kind of a pivot to like an action, like something I would see in like an action manga rather than like a horror manga because they're, they're literally, they just have like tornado powers. Like there's nothing really scary about well, them. The, you know what I mean? The people themselves don't have powers. It's the pressure in the air from the typhoons going into the lake. Yeah, I understand yeah. that, but it still manifest. It manifests as they have tornado powers. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um. So that I didn't really dig, but in with regards to like the logical conclusion of like a town plagued by spirals, like I think it only makes sense that like the town would end up becoming a giant spiral mm-hmm. and sort of like sinking into the land at some point and like oh of course there's like this giant spiral kingdom <laughs> underneath the town it's like this cavernous like area where the spiral lives or something it's like the belly of the beast i guess which it is, was which struck very lovecraftian <laughs> very much so it's just like oh there's this like bizarre living spiral world and that's where it that's where it all ends i guess um, I didn't really mind that too much. I thought that was like if if you're going for what is the logical conclusion of like uptown gets obsessed with spirals, like this is basically it, you know? Mm-hmm. This is what happens at the end. Like the entire town becomes a spiral and like implodes. Um mm-hmm. so from that regard I didn't really mind it. Um but I but what, I see what? I see where you're I see what you're saying, Bill. I understand what, what your you, uh, your issues is- with it. What's your issues with it, Tori? I wonder if you and I differ in any way. Um, no, I kind of basically agree with what you're saying. Um, that sort of plot point is not what I really enjoy in stories like that. Um, just the kind of like, oh, it's been a old world thing from the get-go. Like, that. that's not really my jam. Um... I don't mind that it played out that way necessarily, like kind of Austin was saying. I think it's the logical conclusion of what would have happened. Um, but I'm so used to characters in Jinji Ito's work sort of like laying down and taking it, essentially. But I feel like when I revisited the story, I didn't want that from this. Does that make sense? Like, I, I wanted them to break the curse but i mean they get to be together in the end so that's fine like i'm glad you know that they were able to die and be together but like i don't know i just wanted a little more from it i i don't think i wanted it to end in that kind of well well, even that like i don't i don't their relationship the relationship isn't the is not that strong as illustrated in the book. Yeah, they're they're just kind of two people kind of in the same situation, so they're a lot they're dependent on each other to to get get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not like that other story that where it showed these two people were actually in love and were willing to fight for that relationship. The, these two, it feels like, well, we kind of know each other and we're willing to to help each other and we'd be kind of have a codependent relationship yeah like whenever it comes to whenever it came to their actual like relationship there were moments and through reading it that i totally forgot that they were like in a relationship (laughs) i thought they were i thought they were just friends for a while no (laughs) 
yeah, that that just it was not a major focal point of the story. But um, is this Junji Ito's longest single like overarching narrative that he's ever written? I don't think so. Um, like, is I he he hasn't if, written anything that's like one when, single narrative that's longer than this. I think he when, has, and I think that is uh, the Rasputin thing that he did. Okay. Oh. But I I okay. can't be sure is Tomie not a is Tomie not a long narrative thing Tomie is more short stories featuring the character Tomie Mm, from what I remember doesn't have an overarching story yeah that was my Mm. question because it seems like Tomie just by the nature of her character she's like constantly regenerating herself so like each story is like a new story yeah but like Uzumaki follows like a set set of characters that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's interesting when you when we talked about kind of he's not great with long form narrative. In the reviews I've read of Censor and uh, not Retina, Remina, Remina, Remina. I keep wanting to put the T in there. <laughs> uh, Remina. Uh, People are like, it's good. It, it's got great art as per usual, but I'm not as into it as his short story work. Mm-hmm. Or they kind of leave it like a, it's okay, but I didn't love it. Whereas Uzumaki seems to be like probably the the best of his more long form work. Mm. That's really staring in, oh, of, of his original long form work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I've picked on Bill to go first a bunch of times. Satori, what is what is the final word on Uzumaki for the people listening at home? <coughs> That's it. <coughs> That's it. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, no, so I would say that if you really like Jinji Ito, start with something else. But read Uzumaki at some point because, you know, you if you really like him, you obviously want to read all of his work. Um, but I think it's, it's worth a read just so you can kind of see how he has come from, like, a story at that point in his career to what he's releasing now. Um, just kind of seeing that growth of, like, art and storytelling techniques and things like that but um i don't think i would necessarily recommend it to somebody who is going to be reading their first jinji ito work but it's still worth reading as a whole to complete his collection of works Mm. Mm. bill uh i would say i mostly really enjoyed this um, like Tori, I would say start with one of his short story collections and to see if you would like his work. Like uh, Venus in the Blind Spot is really good. That's where I started. Um, if you're a bit intimidated by his artwork, uh, I would also recommend his adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, which is a very faithful, probably one of the best um, retellings of that story. 
but it doesn't have the Giger HP Lovecraft type art. So if that's kind of intimidating for you, start there. Or start with one of his short story collections like uh, Venus in the Blind Spot. But uh, as for like his long-form stories, I think this is probably the the best one of the bunch that I have read so far. I do think it's really funny that we're picking this particular title to review, but it isn't a great entry point into Jinji Ito. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's just because it's so iconic. Like, sure, usually yeah. if you ask somebody about Jinji Ito, they will say, oh yeah, either Tomie guy or Uzumaki guy. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Absolutely. Because well, it is one of his most like well-known like visual works. Mm-hmm. And it is one of his first works that were republished in the viz yes. hardcover format where yes. we're we're uzumaki and tomie right right um but i would say um maybe slightly contrary to you guys i mean i think i think if somebody wanted to start with uzumaki it wouldn't be a terrible idea right um mostly because even though it's a little bit on the longer side it is a extremely breezy read like i'm a very slow reader but the thing about uzumaki is that it's mostly art so it's great for dumb people like me who can't stand a whole lot of words um, oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no seriously like like it, it may look very thick and intimidating up on the up on the shelf but it is a pretty breezy read it's it's very enjoyable if you like just wild insane concepts again taken to their logical extreme uh if you like escalation in stories uh i think this will keep you keep you pretty pretty glued in for the whole time and really i think the major uh the major benefit to reading uzumaki is getting to the very end where he has two bonus chapters one of them is a chapter that seems like it was just cut from the story for some reason about a galaxy that's also a spiral and that's okay it's a good addition i guess um but the final chapter is an autobiographical chapter about him discussing the process of making uzumaki and what he went through in his research and you know his how he got obsessed with the spiral and then wrote the manga so that in of itself is worth reading the whole book for just that that one-off chapter uh bonus addendum if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I would also recommend, because uh, Uzumaki as a book is huge, um, it, it's a, it can be a bit cumbersome from what I have seen. I got it digitally. All his works are on Comixology and on Amazon you could, that you could get digitally. It's also, I think, available on like other services like Nook and whatnot. Um, I would say it's it still looks good on your tablet. So if you're fine with digital reading and don't want to deal with a bit of a cumbersome book, um, getting it digitally is a great alternative. The books are gorgeous, though, and I'm sure, Tori, you could speak to that. Oh, yeah. Um, I have everyone that's been released so far. Um, I will be rebuying the hardcover of Yon and Moo, um, but they make beautiful shelf decoration <laughs> um oh yeah as but like I, I i own every book of his i own most of the books of his i own physically except for tomie and uzumaki um mostly because just they're kind of they're super big and compared to his other collections oh yeah and uh also um this will date this program but i could i could not find uzumaki anywhere <laughs> it is 
it is just the physical printing of the book has disappeared off the face of the map. I think <laughs> they our, would our, have... Our paper shortage. Yeah, I, th- I remember um, Uzumaki, I think, was originally released in three volumes, but I think they would have been better off to have broken Uzumaki and Tomie into two separate hardcovers, for sure. Mm. Well, I... The reason they're probably like that is because this was the first, the kind of first official Jinju Ito releases, mm-hmm. and they probably were like, "Well, we don't know these if these are going to sell well, so and we don't want to make multiple books because what if the first volume flops and then we have all these these two other ones to print out? So let's just jam them all into one book." Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And I will say before I forget, part of my uh, reason for having the idea to do this episode was because a good friend of mine named Paul just gave me a copy of Uzumaki like for free. He was just like, would you like to have this? I bought this. I got a really good deal on it and you can have it. And I was like, thanks, Paul. Sweet, kind man. So, Paul, if you're listening to this, thanks, my dude. So um, just in closing, we did want to talk about sort of more generally the fact that we are kind of living in a Jinji Ito renaissance and that has created a lot of really awesome things and some also just okay things um, but I think it's generally a net good so Tori you you remember the days whenever you would say like oh one of my favorite manga authors is Jinji Ito and you would get a face like I've never heard of that uh, I have never I do not know this man <laughs> but now I feel like I feel like honestly in the modern day Probably Jinji Ito and someone like, um, I feel bad because I can't remember their name, but uh, the mangaka for like Demon Slayer mm. or something, or maybe the mangaka for or like uh, Akira Toriyama. Like, I feel like Jinji Ito is probably up there with like some of the most, rec- one of the most recognizable like uh, names in manga that like Western fans could name. So from your perspective, what has that arc been like? Yeah, I feel like back then it was you either really had to be extremely online in the manga community the j-horror community or just like certain niches of the internet at the time and it's really funny because i always used to make fun of people that were like this is my thing and how dare it get popular and other people don't like like other people like it because nobody likes it as much as me but um, I went through that phase a little bit when all this started happening. <laughs> um, but now I'm, like, so excited. Like, it's so cool that, like, Jinji Ito basically is a household name now. But um, so I know you guys had, like, asked specifically kind of, you know, what I felt like contributed to that. Um, so definitely the memification of his artwork that's a really bad word to use but like the memification of his artwork i think on 4chan really sparked the interest for a lot of people um i remember one that i've that i've that i saw a lot a few years ago and i still see it every now and again i'm a fairy let me in Uh, no, not that one, but the, uh, the shark bursting through the door. Oh, yes, yes, yes. From, uh, <laughs> from, uh, Gyo. Yes. Like, that, that one is, that one's a very good meme. Tadaima. Mm-hmm. Tadaima. Um, <laughs> so I think that for a while kind of boosted the interest, but it, once again, to me, was still really amongst people who were, like, as the kids say now, really online. 
Um, but with manga sort of now being more popular than ever, um, especially horror manga, it seems like publishers are taking more of a risk to bring in niche artists. Like, I'll go to the bookstore sometimes and I'll just look at the manga shelf and think, there's no way this would have been on the shelf 10 years ago. Like, I've never heard of this. And then I look it up and, like, it's a best-selling hit in Japan. It has been for, like, over a decade. Um, mm. So kind of like the commodification of that. Um, Tomie and Uzumaki just recently had milestone anniversaries, like, decade anniversaries not that long ago. Um, so, of course, you know, people will be talking about that. Um, there was the Jinji Ito collection anime, for better or for worse. That kind of, I think, <laughs> turned a lot of people on. And kind of that, and just like... To, uh... Just to your point about manga, it's just like, I'm sure that from a publisher perspective, like from, well, mainly from Viz, because they have the the vast lion's share of his work out in print, it's, for them, it's probably a really good bet, because, like, most of his works are single-volume works. Like, they yes. don't have to commit to something that's, like, never been published here, but is also, like, 30 volumes 50 volumes long. long. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, putting out... Even if they just, even if like let's say we go back in time and they just put out Uzumaki, that's that probably if it didn't do well, that probably wouldn't have been a major loss because it was only just one book. Right. Mm. Were you gonna say um, something? Bill? I think. Yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Not at all. Um, I would also say he's also been very open to being up front with western fans and doing all these interviews viz has done a number of um kind of i don't know what you call it memeable funny kind of videos with him of like let's try and scare jinjito mm -hmm. and he's been up to do the mark kind of be involved with the marketing they made him into a vtuber remember that yes. that was only a few months ago <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> But just unlike most mangaka creators that are kind of like, leave me alone, I don't want to deal with you, he has been very upfront and willing to um, kind of be out, in the, be out in the public and talk to Western fans. Um, like he's done a number of big conventions, and I think that has also helped in terms of the marketing. Um, and it's it's funny. I, the the person that I would compare the the this kind of phoenix like rise to would be someone like Araki with JoJo mm -hmm. a bit because both of them for the longest time were very obscure and you had to be very internet savvy to know. But then they be, kind of became memed online, uh, and that helped them spur their personality. And then I can't think of another author that has gotten like the nice hardcover treatment other than jojo uh like like jinjo ito's works have gotten um even someone like um oh i'm terrible with names the creator of uh of of ranma and inuyasha like, rumiko takahashi her, rumiko takahashi like even her works have just gotten like soft covers like or they they're nice additions, but no one I she's not gotten like hardcover releases of Mermaid Saga, for example. Yeah, the only other thing I could think of off the top of my head that got hardcover was Berserk. Um yeah. Fist of the North yeah. Star recently 
Mm-hmm. And yep. um, one more, but my mind's blanking. Um, but yeah, that was actually like the next point I was going to make is basically this collaboration work with like Crunchyroll and Viz. They own his soul now. So basically they're just like, <laughs> you know, doing all these interviews with him, making those like, can we scare this guy videos? They took him to the freaking Winchester house, which was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they basically are just like, this guy, we have him, look at him. Um, <laughs> and then something that somebody had brought up in a post online that I remember right before kind of the commercial commercialization of him via those publishers um, was a lot of people, and even now still online, especially with the younger crowd, will use his artwork for aesthetic like i can remember seeing like diy videos where people would like paint that particular image from uzumaki of the girl with the eyeball on like a jacket and they'd be like yeah i have no idea who this art artist is i just saw it and now i'm recreating it and i'm you know ironing it on a t-shirt so you know it's just an aesthetic for me and so you know when something like that catches on you inevitably do have people that see it and are smart enough to go oh, that's cool. I'm going to look who actually made that. Um, so a lot of a lot of anecdotal yeah. stories about that and for myself personally as well. Um, and um, it, it just kind of, you know, like I said, makes iconography a bit more widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, you've got places like Hot Topic as well doing like official merchandise collaborations. So it's the same things like people see these pop figures and t-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff and they're like oh that art's cool oh Jinji Ito on the tag I wonder what that is and then they go look into it so it's all of this stuff together I think like slowly building and coming to a head like apparently I also read that he's not even like like he's popular in Japan but he's not like Rumiko Takahashi popular in Japan. Like, people know yeah. him, but he's not considered, like, an extreme bestseller. Where, like, here he's won Eisner Awards and is on bestseller lists and things like that. So, I, I think it's all about the audience, too. Like, horror is very popular in America. And, I mean, not that it's not in Japan or anywhere else, but, like, we have a culture for that established here and have for a very long time. So all of that kind of mm. plays into each other to have caused it. So no one one thing specifically. He sounds a little uh, bit like Shinichiro Watanabe in that regard, where it's not like he's totally unknown in Japan, but like Westerners are just so much more familiar with his work because stuff like Cowboy Bebop and Space Dandy and Samurai Champloo have just really taken off over here, whereas in Japan they were only, like, modest hits. Right, and I wonder if he recognizes that to some degree, and that's why he seems much more open now to doing, like, videos and convention appearances, whereas, like, ten years ago, you had none of that. Like, that just wasn't a thing that he did. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool that he's... that he has... he has enough, um sort of uh humility about himself and isn't so like stuck up or Mm -hmm. whatever (laughs) that's a crass way to put it but he's like willing to kind of be a little bit of a goofball in public yeah and i think also to kind of a much larger point is like if you go into like a bookstore like a barnes and noble manga has basically taken over the comic book section oh my gosh yeah 
just the just the it's funny with how popular Marvel is in the movies. It's not translating to the actual books. Um, whereas more and more younger people, I feel weird saying that, uh, are more likely to go pick up a manga uh, than they are a superhero comic. We'll say thirty and young younger. How about that, Bill? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Well, that about does it for our episode, but we do have a few questions from our beautiful friend, Basil, from the Awesome Cast, who always gives us awesome questions, so it's very much in brand. And his first question is a big one. What is horror to you? And since I'm already talking, I'm going to answer first. <laughs> so, I of course, I think horror is somewhat subjective. Not everything scares everyone equally. But there are some things that do scare sort of like human beings, like pretty universally, like enclosed spaces, like fear of like the darkness and what may be lurking in it, um, fear of like, uh, you know, the unknown, whatever that may might mean for you, fear of like loss and things like that. Um, so I guess in, in terms of like genre, I don't know, I feel like horror horror is anything that makes you feel like a sense of unease i guess if that makes sense at least that's that's what i think horror is like i don't think horror is necessarily like bats and vampires and ghosts and demons and spirals (laughs) but uh but i think it's any anything that gives you like a feeling of anxiety or unease i could i could call that horror what do you what do you guys think what's what's horror to you I think... Uh, How much... Oh, I was going to say, I feel like, to me, it is just something that really resonates to me. Like, like I want it to resonate with me. Um, I have a great quote in my panel that I cannot remember off the top of my head, and I feel really bad. But basically, like, it's a vehicle for processing, essentially to me and like I want it to resonate with me and I want to be able to take away something from it by the end of it like you know oh that movie really is about somebody processing their trauma and I understand that and that makes me feel like I can live as a better person but at the same time it's also really fun to turn on like dead alive and you know watch somebody take a lawnmower to the face but like (laughs) It, it really should strike a chord with you, I think, that is a good mark of a good piece of horror to me, is you can just look at it and say, oh yeah, you know, that makes me feel after I've disengaged with it, like it's still with me, and I've taken it, and now I've passed it on to somebody else. Does that make any sense at all whatsoever? like a spiral Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes like like a spiral um you have to engage with it you know and Mm -hmm. i don't know that i i i think you nailed that out of the park is just that horror is a vehicle for process like you said and that we use kind of the window dressing uh like let's say the slasher genre the slasher genre is basically window dressing to reinforce uh morality right Mm -hmm. Um, whereas 
supernatural supernatural horror or something like that is usually used as a vehicle or as window dressing to talk about fear of the mundane like fear of death is a common is a common fear amongst people because we don't know what's in the great beyond and so we'll we'll put in some window dressing to talk about that um and usually like like Tori says it's a press it's a processing method and i think some people get a little too hung up on the window dressing mm-hmm. So we kind of already discussed his second question, so we'll move on to the next one. How do you feel about Ito's work being turned into pops and other merch? <laughs> I mean, the, the, we're, other, we're the other merch doesn't bother me, but the Funko Pops bother me on a deep spiritual level. Never in my life have I been so on the edge of buying a freaking Funko Pop. <laughs> But wait, I didn't question. I didn't know he had a Funko Pop. Is it like of him uh-uh. or his? There, no. there is one of Tomie, the Slug Girl, Miss Fuchi, Soichi, and there's a Books a Million exclusive one that I can't remember, and like one more. <laughs> I am deeply disturbed no. that you know that. <laughs> well, won't... if if they were. Are, if they're more like unique, like the slug, then I would say they look okay. But if it's more like just generic humans, then they're just gonna look boring. Yeah, I mean, they look like and all other pops. Like it looks like the character, but it's still at the end of the day, it's a pop. You know what I mean? But just this is just we're solely when you need them because <laughs> this is a this is again just like a, a, talking about commercialization of stuff. Yeah, and my view on it is. Jinto Ito had to approve this for this to go through. And if he's getting a paycheck for a Funko Pop that someone wants to waste their money on, yeah. then I, I'm happy for him. Right. I'm actually so stoked for, like, the shirts and stuff, because I was that dummy who would, like, print out manga caps and iron them on the t-shirts um <laughs> real og <laughs> so i'm like so stoked for the shirts and things like that it, it's cool like it's so exciting to me now that like kids have it so easy they can just walk in hot topic and buy like a hunter hunter shirt and put it on and be happy like that's that's mm-hmm. great <laughs> you kids are yeah, lucky I just yeah just don't don't be a jerk and, and gatekeep just because it's in the mainstream doesn't make it bad true right no one will like Jinji Ito as much as me, and I've come to terms with that. <laughs> no one will like Lupin the Third as much as Bill. <laughs> Ever. Oh, Even goodness. the people that make it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you should talk to some of my friends on Twitter. I think they'll, they'll probably beat me on that, <laughs> on that account. Uh, so this is definitely a final question directed at you, Tori, but what other creators should one look into? Um, I would highly recommend Kazuo Amez, because... Uh, he inspired Jinji Ito as well as Hideshi Hino um, two of the main main influences um, I spoke about him earlier but um, Otsuichi who is the horror novelist is really excellent um, the um, uh, lost my train of thought um, the anthology series Seeds of Anxiety and PTSD Radio are really good. Um, they've got some good kind of eye-catch pages, sort of like Junji Ito does. And um, I K 
can't remember who the actual mangaka is, um, but I was just telling Bill about this the other day, or maybe today. It was a day. Um, and it just got an anime adaptation, but that manga about the girl who can see spirits and they're like really grotesque, but like nobody around her can see them. Um, it's like Meriko-san Mer- 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 or something Mer- like that. Mer- or something. Yeah. Um, but I remember when that was actually like uploaded online when it was like first being released and I caught bits and pieces of it off of like Facebook of all places. Um, now meta. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's a good, good stepping stone. Um, there's also, um, oh, what's that one? I forget. Not important. But, um, usually if you just kind of Google, like, what are the best horror manga, you'll usually nowadays get pretty solid lists. You just have to be kind of careful because a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about will put in a lot of, like, like, girl stuff in with, like, regular manga, and I'm like, that's two separate things where, you know, you will either want one or the other. Um, but yeah, nowadays it's pretty accessible by just doing some online research. I'll also say as an addendum, uh, PTSD Radio and Umez's The Drifting Classroom are available digitally on Comixology. So those are easily available uh, in terms of horror work. And also all of Jinto Ito's work, including his non-viz work uh, from Kodansha, is available on Comixology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the sad thing is with a lot of horror manga, it's still not at the point to where it is... Um, regularly published like translated and published in other places so a lot of it you have to kind of look for scanlations especially some of the more niche stuff but um yeah you're absolutely right all that stuff is currently legally available but it's my theory that um i know the drifting classroom was released in the u.s in singles quite a while ago but they were recently re-released in big, nice, fancy omnibus editions. And that, in my mind, Uh I feel like that probably wouldn't have happened if the Jinji Ito stuff did not do as well as it did. 100%. It's one of those those things (laughs) where, like, if you want to see more horror manga, get get translated and localized and brought over to the U.S. Buy the bad stuff, too. Just buy it. Buy it all. (laughs) Yep, just buy it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if those are nice, though. Those, those things are a phone book. <laughs> well, if you're like Bill and you don't like very large books, which I can also relate, um, just buy it digitally. Yeah. And uh, like Tori and Austin have said, um, buy it, buy it, buy it. And this, <laughs> this can apply to anything. True. Uh, so, same with uh, like Leiji Matsumoto works. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Buy, buy those Seven Seas classic collections to get more of his stuff. Let's go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it was lovely to spend our annual Halloween spooky episode with you guys talking about Uzumaki. So thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, it was a blast. Finally, got to get on my soapbox. Yeah, you basically got to turn your panel into a full podcast, which is awesome. (laughs) And if you catch us at a panel at any upcoming convention... um, Tori will most likely be performing the Junji Ito panel, so you can see all of this material that we talked about in this episode and some more things about other stuff uh, in that panel, so look out for that. Um, 
Generally, if you want to connect with Third Impact Anime, we do have a wonderful website called thirdimpactanime.com where you can find links to our show notes for all of our episodes, including show notes for this one, which will have some supplemental reading material for you to uh, look over if you'd like, like interviews, and we'll put some video clips in there that we used in the research for this. You can also find links to our social media pages. We've got a Facebook and a Twitter and all that good stuff. We also have a Discord that is free for you to join if you'd like to join our fun fun our small but fun and active community over on discord uh please feel free to hop on in i know you're probably already in too many discords just like everyone is but if you want to get in too many plus one we're a good place to be um so you can check that out also on our website and if you want to connect with me austin my twitter is at bebop shock and bill where can people connect with you on the internet um uh, I mean, if you really want to, I'm on Twitter at WB Foreman, uh, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, 999, where I'm mostly retweeting about Lupin the Third Part 6, which is currently airing as of this recording, uh, and uh, mostly Lupin right now, and also other anime uh <laughs> <laughs> like Conan, Detective Conan. Yep. And Tori, where can people connect with you? Yeah, um, I am mostly over on Twitter at WorstWaifu. I've not really been hanging there a lot, but who knows, maybe I'll go back. Cool. Alright guys, well thanks again for listening. Thank you guys, my co-hosts, for joining me, and we will catch you in the next one. Have a happy Halloween! Happy Halloween!